This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Addiction. Oh, that's that's not right. Drug Use Addiction and Recovery Channel and the New Books Network. Uh, this is Jay Schiffman, founder of the Choose Your Struggle podcast and its its related content. But this isn't about me. We're here with an incredible author, a guy that I'm just so delighted to chat with. It is Randall Horton, who is the author of Dead Weight. Uh, it's a memoir and essays is what it says on the on the cover. But as I'm gonna, as you're going to hear. It really felt to me almost more like poetry. It is a beautifully written book, and, and I'm just delighted. Randall, uh, anything else you want to say about yourself before we launch into this? <laughs> no, I think um, we'll put we'll, we'll pretty much scan the scope of in terms of me, and you know, in terms of a person and my geographical location and all that kind of stuff as it relates to the book and what that means. Uh, so I'm just excited to be here uh, and, and talk with you and, you know, talk about the book, man. So, yeah, I mean, let's have that conversation. Well, to the listeners, this is not the typical book that we cover on this channel. There is, uh, you know, no uh, pages worth of facts and figures. This is a guy in, in, in Mr. Horton here who lived this. This is a guy who saw this this topic. Uh, that we cover on this channel from multiple angles, and this uh, this novel or this this memoir or collection of, of stories is so deeply deeply personal, and, and that's one of the reasons I almost felt like it was more poetry. Is is that you? Uh, I finished this and, and I said, "Man, I really feel like I know this guy." You know, was that something you set out to do in this book? Were, were you? I know being vulnerable isn't always a conscious choice, but but was it something that you 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 considered when you were writing this? Well, yes, I did. I wanted to um, expose myself uh, a little bit more than I had in my my first memoir, um, and so and 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 as I was you know look, thinking about you know the, the the things that I wanted to talk about and how how I wanted to tell them, I realized that in order. Um, for the reader to go on me with this journey, they had to sort of feel what I was going through, really. You know what I mean? And so um, I had to take that that leap, that leap of of faith uh, that you know um, that you know just for the sake of the reader, uh, you know, because you know it is a scary, you know, it is an interesting situation when you expose yourself in those ways, right? Um, but also in the memory comes sort of like the baptismal, right? So, you know, and so you get the, you get that too, right? So, yeah. Well, what I, what I found so fascinating too is that it, it wasn't just you that I felt I knew. I felt I knew 
your family. I felt I knew the people you ran with because, right. and, and, and I, I, I want to get into some of the details yeah. about your family in particular, because man, I'll tell you, I wish I knew big 70. I wish I could have hung out with big 70 and Rosie Lee in particular. And, and, and your mother, Eunice is, is just, she felt like such a caring and loving person. Right, and right, these right. characters jumped out of this book. And like I said, like I wanted to hang out with them. I wanted to run with Big 70. <laughs> yeah, that was um, uh, important to me uh, to sort of make these the, the, the people that I was talking about historically um, come, 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 up, come alive um, in a way in which you understood the condition in which they were in. Um, and, you know, and I'm, you're talking about um, growing up in Birmingham and uh, coming up in what they call sort of like a juke joint or a shot house. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Uh, think about the color purple and sugar, right? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and, you know, and so that was my grandmother. And so there was a host of characters um, that I never forgot um, that sort of stuck with me and not just, I, they, they're embedded in my memory and I wanted to, um, you know, talk, I wanted to bring them, you know, to life. And so people could understand, um, you know, the ways in which I sort of came up, but also the love that was there underneath all of that, all of that strife and, you know, racial conflict and, you know, sort of like coming up from the bottom as they say, are the so-called common element, <laughs> as, I, as I say, uh, with Langston Hughes' uh, essay, um, like, you know, when I go there, go there. Um, and, you know, yeah, all the way from Big 70, all the way to Bud and Dennis in 1912, the shootout, and, you know. <laughs> and so, but getting back to your point, um, I think um, for me, it was, um, and even later on, when I begin to talk about my more deeper personal, you know, stories and that thing, um, to sort of the people I would talk, I mean, I'm, that I'm talking about. I'm, so these are the people that, you know, oftentimes are discussed when we talk critically about, you know, what it meant to be sort of early participant in, you know, the, 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 the prison industrial complex or, you know, getting in, in, involved in the criminal justice system, right? And so, and so it's that kind of narrative that we talk about in many ways with the new Jim Crow, or you think about another book called Until We Reckon, and you have these sort of uh, examples of like what what happened and what went down. Well, these are the people that were there. Um, and, you know, there's another layer to that in terms of this, you know, their story and why they're there and the things that led them to be in those situations, right, in which you know, they became part of, you know, what I like to call a national narrative, uh, which involved, you know, of course, cocaine, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, that was that, that was important to me all the way through, uh, for sure. So, and I, and I guess, please tell me if I'm reading too much into this, but was there meant to be a bit of a mirroring in the way that you described Big 70s experience with Moonshine and your own experience, as we'll get to in a, in a minute. Sorry to the, the, the to the listeners, we're, we're kind of spoiling this a minute here, but we, we are gonna we are gonna talk about Randall's experience running cocaine in a minute. But was there meant to be a bit of a, when you described it, sort of as in like, yeah, these were a little bit similar in in, in the way that this went down. Yes, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't deliberate with that because I think I begin to to, to sort of, I mean, to, I begin to 
put those dots together as, you know, as I begin to think about the history of, of my family and what would, you know, what would transpire through several generations um, and some of those relatives that stuck out, you know, that stuck out in terms of they went to, you know, they went to prison or that was, you know, involved in something, um, you know what I mean? And so um, I wanted to trace that, you know, uh, all the way up until me, you know, because I talk about how I skipped a generation with my father, you know, uh, and then, you know, but just as much as that influence um, from Big 70, of course, that was, you know, and in, 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 in all of that, um, I think, you know, Rosalie, on the other hand, my grandmother, um, the you know, the lady who, you know, kind of raised me from a kid, you know, when, when she was watching me and I was in this house and I got to see, you know, <laughs> adulthood <laughs> straight up from the, you know, from, um, you know, as a young kid, man, I'm mean, like, I, I was eight years old pouring shots of liquor, you know what I mean? And so <laughs> you got to understand 50 shots, 50 cent shots and dollar shots of red and white. <laughs> and I, it just, you know, I was sort of, you know, I was just the world I, I grew up in, man. That's all. What can I say? What can I say? But the flip side of that, there was a sort of love and there wasn't anything like I wasn't like to go willy nilly out and do anything. She had a strong hand on me. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Um, I think, you know, maybe she was preparing me for, you know, understanding like even more so than anybody else, like what I was going to have to go through later on in life, you know what I mean? In ways that my, either my mother, you know, did not or could not at that time, you know what I mean? So, And, and you, you used a, a phrase just a minute ago that I love because it, you, this is so evident in the book that it does skip a generation. You know, you're talking about your, mm-hmm. your grandfather, Big 70, and, and yeah. Rosie Lee, and then your mother is this this sort of almost angelic, presence throughout the book right. you know she's yeah. she's the only person that really came to visit you when you were in jail you know right, right. you talk about the conversations where she's the one putting money in in, in your in your pocket when you're in jail and all that right right, right. And so she isn't that character like your your grandmother yeah, and, and and you were really specific it, it almost felt like that the difference was education it, it, it was is that accurate yeah it was because i think um, my grandmother even understood that, um, um, and it was a collective effort to to get my mother in college from a very little from from very from a very young age. You have to understand this, you know. And so, you know, my like, so my my so my mother's mother was in the bootleg business too. It was an inherited thing, you know what I mean? So. It was really like a lineage. Like, so my mother's next in line for that. That's that's the lot in life, you know. My, my you know my grandmother started doing it at sixteen. Wow, you see what I'm saying? So, but um, what happened was we had an uncle um, that had gone to college some kind of way um, and ended up was a principal, and he had a hand in. Um, and then it became this collective effort to get my mother to college and sort of keep her out of that life. Um, and so, you know, it's something that she doesn't necessarily talk about a lot e- either. Um, and but I think that ex- those experiences growing up in that, I know it shaped, you know, her her will and determination in a way that I never could probably understand until, like, I talk about in the essay, um, you know, mother's love, right? Um, 
I don't think I could understand it until that that point. You know what I mean? Um, what she, you know, everything that she had to go through, and you know, and here was this woman that um, sort of achieved all this stuff through education, and um, you know, was president of the Alabama Education Association, had been doing work with the NEA, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so, um, and it wasn't like she, they, you know, she had tried not to instill those things in me. Just like I just got caught up in something that, you know, it was just bigger than it. It was just, you know, something no one saw coming, especially me. Um, and and it took it took a span of almost, what, 30 years, 20-something years, 25 years, something like, something like that to sort of, you know, um, get back to you know, what I was really supposed to be doing in this world, you know, basically. And, and, you know, uh, uh, again, sorry, listeners, we're going to spoil the ending here, but you are back to that. And uh, as, as you uh, so famously say in this, in, in a couple places on your website, that you're the only tenured professor in the U S with seven felony convictions. So, so congrats to that. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> before, before we get to that, you, one more po- point about your childhood that I just found fascinating. And that was the story that you share in here about being sort of almost a test subject in integrating schools. Your your mother, this was important to her. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it, and it good. sounded like, though, that, that it was a little less successful for you. Is, is, is that right? Yeah, it was a little less successful for me. And um, the interesting thing about, um, so me and my mother were part of that first wave of integration in the county system of Birmingham, Alabama uh, in 1973, even though they supposed they should have done it like, like, like years earlier, they waited to the last moment. And, um, and in the process of it, uh, you know, I, I, I come to find out years later, uh, my mom was telling me about it. Um, the principal, um, you know, asked, asked around to all the black principals, like, um, <laughs> who are the teachers that you don't want to give up, right? <laughs> <laughs> and my mom was, was one of them, and so she got requested <laughs> to the school because they wanted the best, you know, man. And so um, so she became, so I came, so we went to this, you know, we integrated um, a school, um, and it was a very interesting experience, man. I had, And I, so I went with her because, you know, that's, I, I always went to the schools where my mother was teaching, um, as a young kid. So, you know, that's, that's babysitting, you know, right there, like, <laughs> you know, so, um, but, um, I ended up being, you know, the only kid, like in the third grade, um, that was of, of color, black and well, at that time, man, I just have to be, you know, we just black and white and black and white existence. I didn't even know, like other colors or the, that kind of diversity was kind of almost foreign to me, but even, you know, having, you know, been insulated in a very segregated um, community that was segregated through segregation, you know, um, and, you know, walking, you know, and living in those neighborhoods and existing um, in this other kind of world. Um, and then all of a sudden being transitioned into something um, that is, you know, very eye opening, uh, to say the least. And, um, like I talk about and gonna talk about and talk about in the book, um, you know, they, they come, you know, they, they came that moment um there um that I sort of, you know, like to 
so we'll make a parallelism to James Ball when we talks about um, in that, that debate in William Buckley, I think it's 64, uh, in, um, in, in Oxford, um, he's talking about um, the plight of is the, the, the American dream at the expense of the American Negro or something like that. But anyway, he talks about um, the, the the moment that you realize that race that that, that there's a race that race the, uh, you understand the concept of race a little bit better, like you you get you get to understand that we're not all in this very utopian society as little kids and everybody just playing and having a good, a good time, um, like and then you become you know you, you understand that you know there are people who actually you know despise you because you look a different kind of way. And you look different, you talk different, you know what I mean? You have a different culture. And so that's what kind of what happened in that, you know, I talk about the situation where I got in a little girl called me the N-word and, you know, there was, a, you know, I hit her and, and there was this whole thing at the school um, where, um, and at the time I didn't realize, um, you know, the significance um, of the event, like I talk about, um, in terms of what happened to the little black boy to do something like that to you know to a, to a white girl because uh, I hit her in the jaw when she called me you know the n word um, on the playground man we kids man and so my you know and then so like my mother was you know had always told me uh, if anyone did that you know like you fight back and man you know and so but at the same time. You know I understood the idea of like hitting a little girl like that's some real. You know, like that's some jacked up stuff, and that was the one thing, and you know, that was the one thing up to you know all through since I was probably two years old. You don't hit girls, you know what I mean? And so, like, I knew that, and I understood that, and like, you know, and so I, I understood that part of it too. Was and so um, it just was a you know traumatic. I say it was a traumatic event uh, in terms of what I had to go through, um, and. You know, I, I understand, but I understood that I hadn't really <laughs> done anything wrong when my mother stuck up for me. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> she don't. Stay, she's not the kind of woman that's going to stick up for you if she thinks that you're wronging in the kind of way she wants you to learn from your mistake. You know, to make you put it mildly, like she don't spare the rod with that. Um, and but when she, you know, stuck up for me in a way that you know, up to that point, like in terms of school and teachers and things like that. Man, I knew something, you know, I knew it was like, oh, wow, you know, there's some real stuff right here, you know. Um, and then I talked, you know, I would talk to my dad years later, man. He was telling me, man, all the other stuff that was going on, man, and, you know, behind the scenes is like, you know, this is, you know, so you never know, man, um, you know. <laughs> And, and, you know, so those are the things that you, you know, as a kid, these underlining narratives that you, you know, in terms of my narrative that I sort of, was, you know, had to sort of discover um, digging through this memoir. Right. So, yeah. And, and, and so I I can't even obviously uh, even one iota imagine the, tra- the trauma of that experience. And, and you so beautifully put it in the book as, as you talk about your mom, but you also talk about your dad's reaction to finding out what happened. And that's sort of your, you're hinting to the reader. Like this is a big, like this was a big deal. was was your dad responded and and sort of on a bigger context for the book, for a book that's only, I was just looking at this 130 something pages. You somehow packed so much uh, beauty into this book 
and, and and it's you do so without wasting a single word, right? It's very um, sort of like the sun also rises in that sense, in in, in that you know it is there is not one word out of place. It is just beautiful throughout. And you mix these stories so expertly where you're talking about this. And that's kind of next thing we know, you're at Howard, right? Which is <laughs> yeah. where you started. Right. And you're getting into the to drugs. And it was right. just, it, 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 again, to go back to my earlier point, it was such a beautiful way to, to let people in to help the reader feel like they knew you a little bit. Right, right. And that was important too, you know. So, I mean, I'm a real... You know, I guess when you talk about craft now in terms of as a writer, uh, I'm very interested in point of view um, and how that lens rotates for the writer and the reader actually throughout the, you know, the narrative. And so a lot of times uh, I'm very conscious of trying to alter that that lens um, in ways in which it's fluid and to get to one thing to another. Um um, and even if they don't necessarily make sense in the beginning, like the connection, but they do connect, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? You know, everything connects. Um, and so in some kind of way, um, but that is kind of, you know, so that was, you know, and as a poet too, man, you know, it's like, yeah. um, I was really, um, you know, interested in, you know, the imagery in the book, um, and, the way that I, you know, talked about things metaphorically, obviously. And, um, but also with it, I, you know, I have to say I had a good editor too. (laughs) 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 That saved me from, because, you know, as a poet, you know, you probably, sometimes you're going to get a little bit too, you know, you're going to do a little bit too much here, a little bit too much there. And so that's why it was important. No, seriously. That's why it was important. Um, you know, that the editor that we chose, that they chose for this project, um, she understood what I was trying to do, but at the same time, um, we understood that we had to reach, uh, we had to keep the reader um, present, ever present, um, you know. And so, I think she helped me do that um, in, in in some you know places, in, in a lot of places, and and I think it just was made you know made for a, a, a great read for me, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I I completely agree, and I think it says something that. You know, this is a channel that where we talk about drugs and you and I are over 20 minutes into this conversation and we haven't even gotten to the drugs yet. Right. Uh, and, and oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, right. but but that's a testament to this book is that it is about drugs, but it isn't about drugs. It's about right. you. It's about people. Yeah. And it's about uh, forces larger than us. And, and I think that, you know, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but I love that it, it ends on, and I'm going to butcher the name of this area. Is it Eleuthera? Is that how you yes, pronounce it? Yes, it's okay. yes, right. I've never even heard of that, but it, 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 it <laughs> that was such an important location. And it ends with you talking to your connect down there yeah. about the way the U.S. government was involved in, in, in drugs and drug running. And, yes, and yes, that yes, was so yes. fascinating. And you saved it to literally the end of the book. <laughs> and, and, you know, in other books that would be the that would be a story in itself that would be right. a major storyline or that would be yeah. a, a, the first chapter right. and it, again it says so much about the way you chose to write this that right. that was almost an afterthought that oh right this incredible point about drugs <laughs> right. can come in the last couple of pages right right now that was sort of important for me too to sort of say that had to be the end and but the other things were much more important 
but you know, in other ways. And so I, I, you know, and so I needed to, you know, show the whole, the whole picture. I don't want to like keep the focus on me so much that I got into this whole idea of glorifying the idea of drugs too. And I was, you know, it's kind of, you know, ever present of that too. Um, and I wanted to talk about some of the real consequences uh, that come from, you know, having been inside that world for so long. Um, and, you know, but you, you have to talk about things, obviously. And so, um, and, but, you know, ultimately, um, I couldn't, um, I had to write that piece. I think um, it, it just, you know, made sense I mean, to me to write it. Uh, after, especially after I walked, I've been watching Snowfall, um, and I began to think about, um, you know, we talking about this whole idea of there's, um, there was this um, West Coast presence, uh, CIA government and government back, you know, things that in terms of, you know, having cocaine available to, to cast, the, you know, to, to buy and spread into the communities or whatever. And I began to think about, um, you know, you know, what I experienced, you know, on the East Coast in terms of, um, that island, um, because it was a halfway fueling point between South America and, and Miami at the time. And um, it was one of the places where Carlos Lera, um, you know, one of the, you know, the original cocaine cowboys, um, uh, actually had set up shop before he got his own island. Um, and so it was a very interesting place, but, you know, it all starts with me at Howard and, you know, my, I have a room, I had a roommate, um, uh, a friend of, you know, roommate slash one of my best friends, you know, and he, his, you know, his, his father, uh, no, his father was, it was, was, was into a whole lot of that. And long story short, I ended up on that Island, you know what I mean? And so, um, it became part of that whole thing. Um, and, um, but I became friends with, and we'll be going with this. I became friends with, with these two, with these two guys who, um, you know, was, was, was going back and forth at that time. Um, and they were, they were, they were into some heavy stuff. And so it just got me to thinking about, um, you know, at the time you're not thinking, I'm not thinking to ask these questions, <laughs> you know, these are not the questions I'm going to be asking the, you know, these guys. And, um, but, you know, I could ask them that because we had made, we, we remained friends for over like 20 something years, man. And so it wasn't even about drugs or more so than I think they, you know, we had a mutual respect for each other and just a friendship. Um, Cause when we, we met, I didn't even know that they were doing that. That was something that just sort of came a little bit later. Um, and, and to be truth be told, I didn't participate a lot with them in terms of um, that because they were on a whole another level, but I received some of the residuals, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, and I was, you know, and so it, it, it became, it was one of those things too, but it got, it got me to thinking um, to go down there and, 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 but it's also a beautiful place to write too. Um, and I knew I was going to do two things. I was going to continue working on my, uh, my memoir. I mean, these, these essays or whatever, you, you know, um, and, I was going to talk. I was going to talk to him, and and get the real deal in terms of like the, the things that I never asked him, you know, about this whole thing. You know what I mean? And because you know, he's told me some like the first time I like like I think when I wrote my first memoir, he talked about you know how he got into the whole thing in South America on a fluke. You know what I mean? Uh, about I, you know, I think I talk about that in this book too. 
I kind of I kind of give a, a like a, a brief review of like how he got started in Nassau and him and his brother. Um, but um, you know they um, they became you know some one of you know two cats that were like dependent upon, dependent upon. They could fly planes and you know they could. You know they could they could drive boats and they could do all of that stuff nautical. You know what I mean? They were all they could they was fast. You know they were some interesting man, interesting guys. Um, but also, um, you know, and so I knew what they were doing. So when I went down and I talked to I talked to um, you know my you know my connector about that, and um, he gave me some fascinating stories, man. Um, and one of them, you know, he just sort of like we talked about. He talked about you know the whole government, you know, connect. And just like being able to sort of move freely, um, you know, between, you know, what he was doing, you know, which was not necessarily, um, you know, he had, you know, but I had, he had told me things before in which, you know, he had been, you know, offered um, to do his thing, you know, if he just, you know, gave up a person to hear there, you know what I mean? This is back in the day, though. Um, you know, so I knew about that. So, but I didn't necessarily know that there was this thing about helping them, helping them get cocaine, you know, from South America, you know, come to grips with like, you know, the devastation that come, they came from that time period, the devastation that I was part of, um, the devastation, um, that I did to myself and others, um, and I'm looking, you know, I, I think part of that whole, you know, that writing this, this piece and even going back there, you know, was still trying to come to grips with that or seek forgiveness in some kind of way for myself. But I tell you what, and I even talk about in the book, one of the things that I realized and even talking to a lot of people, you know, uh, that, you know, that's that's there, you know, in, in that region or whatever, like, the way they look at, you know, what happened during that time period is a little bit different, you know, than the way we kind of look at it as a, as a nation. And I think, you know, and, and it becomes a different lens. Um, I don't think they hold the same, like, you know, like, to them, it's like they, you know, they were participating in something that, you know, they thought that was they had to do to survive uh, almost um, because of, you know, the way they were living. Um, but but was that was that that different than how you felt at certain times during this? Because there no there, no you, there wasn't. There yeah, wasn't. and you do such a great job of at one point really showing that this idea of a separation between a drug user and a drug dealer is is silly. I mean, right. you were you were struggling with it with a form of addiction towards the end, end of your run, and you were also still working really hard to sell enough drugs that you could use some yourself. Exactly. So that was the whole thing. You know, I was, I was involved in the world at the, in that where I knew that I could participate in it and use and still like, you know, be somewhere where I guess top would be or whatever that meant to be. But then when I failed, I, I would, I fell hard. I feel mm-hmm. like I, I fell hard and fast and, you know, I fell and I did these depths of homelessness and um, despair and sleeping and, you know, um, cars, man, and waking up every day in the homeless shelters, um, going to daily work, daily pay uh, gigs, trying to make it. You know what I mean? Um, and so you, you know, so I, you know, I drew myself into this funk, um, 
and that's the other part of it too you know what i mean um and it would be these times where that would happen and so that's why it was important for me to talk about those um you can't tell that story without telling you know the, the flip side of it and like what it all ultimately means like okay yeah all of that sounds good but you you know these are the things that's really going to happen to you right and these are the things these are the people that you're going to hurt and these are the you know the ways in which it's going to affect your life for a long time and so you're going to have to climb out of a hole that you sort of you know that you dug for yourself um yeah man and so um all of that all of that was important um you know to get to that point as i'm talking about reevaluation you know because i do talk about it in a way that sort of brings that that thing to life that we you know we talk about in terms of running drugs um from South America all the way through Haiti, you know what I mean, the Hatchet Bay. I mean, excuse me, to Cuba, you know, up through Miami, you know, going all the way up through 95 pipeline and sitting ultimately into Canada, you know? So, <clears throat> yeah. So you, so my listeners know that I'm also in recovery and I, I, I didn't, I didn't run anywhere near as hard as you did. Uh, <laughs> but, but the, 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 piece to me in this that that really was just i think brutal but also so expertly related was about the shooting in the trap house in which you lost uh some some people that you knew and and oh man yeah like that that was something that i said you know i obviously didn't have to live through anything like that but i know people who had similar experiences but I think that the average reader would just think of this as another world, right? But right. you did such a beautiful job of helping people smell it and feel it and right. see it. Yeah. That, that if you're able, if you're okay with it, can we? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, thirteen oh three T Street. Um, <clears throat> I had to talk about it um, um, because um, you know it was it. <laughs> It was a situation in which, um, you know, I lost, I lost some, fr- I lost a friend, um, and 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 I almost lost another friend. Um, I had one friend go to jail for like almost se- well, seventeen and a half years, um, and I had a friend of mine that, that lose his house, um, and I had a, another, yeah. And so it was, it was tragic. Um, so this thirteen oh three TC represented like that moment. Um, that sort of kind of changed my my lot when I had fell on hard times and I was homeless and I was out on the street and um, I was, you know, just sort of giving up because, you know, my connected went to jail, I had stopped. Um, I, it, it was just like one of those things um, where I fell into this, this, this spiral of addiction where I didn't know where I was going, man. I, I just woke up every day just to, to, to exist among the living, to be honest with you. I knew where to go get the free, um, the free breakfasts. I knew where to go get the, you know, the lunch and the dinner. You know, say so. You know, they play that place called So Others May Eat. Mm. You know, they had Martha's Food Wagon. You know what I mean? And so I knew yeah. how to get to all of them. Trust me. And um, and I would be up under this tree, man. You know, and um, just hanging out to to wait to go to the shelter and you know i had found a couple other little cats and so we run the night a little bit and then go check in the shelter right um but i got to be friends with with a guy um 
named John, uh, John Glenn. And um, he would always pass by. He had a job. Um, he was working. He was doing some kind of electrical thing, but he was taking classes at UDC, right? You know, I had dropped out of college and stuff like that, but he would stop and talk to us and stuff like that, man. And, you know, and eventually, man, he, he invited me down to his crib. Uh, with, you know, he was staying with his pops in that house. Um, and, you know, one thing led to another, man. He asked him, he asked his dad, could, you know, they had a pretty nice-sized house, right? And it was just him, his dad, and his aunt, Silly. You know, um, she was an older woman. She was almost bedridden at that time. Um, and could I, could I move in and stay with them um, to get myself together? And he let it happen. And he said yes. And so I, you know, so I began to change my, you know, so sometimes you do need a little helping hand. And, you know, John was able to do that. Um, but going forward, um, I end up leaving that house. And um, um, my friend, uh, who's actually uh, going to be part of my book release tonight, um, my book release is actually tonight. Um, and so Gary, um, he, um, and I, and that just and when I when I left the house I was back in that life right um, and Gary um, needed a place to stay um, and ended up moving there um, but when and then so at a couple of months after that I think his father died and then Uncle had to go be moved to a home so it was just them two and then I think a couple of my friends Steve moved in and then. Um, yeah, but there was another guy named Donnie um, from the neighborhood um, that we were all friends with, and he would come by, and, you know, you know, play PlayStation. He would, you know, he watched, you know, do the video games and stuff like that. And um, and so, um, yeah, and I used to come over there, and I was, and I would always come back and visit, you know, because you know John was like a really good friend of mine at that time, and we still, we still, we still keep in touch. Um, but you know, um, I I would end up getting getting arrested. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I was in the system, and I went and I woke up one day. Uh, I think, and we was in the day room. I think it was like ten o'clock. I was breaking news, and they was talking about a shootout uh, on Thirteenth and Three Thirteenth uh, and T Street. And it was like, and I already knew what it was, right? I knew that something bad had happened in that house. I knew. And, um, you know, and, you know, my, my, my friend Gary had to fight for his life. Um, my friend Donnie lost his life. Um, my friend John had to jump out a, a second floor window with another friend of his uh, to escape. My friend Steve got sliced up with a machete, man. It's just crazy, right? And it was a setup. And, you know, on any given night, there's supposed to be me there. You know, I know that. I mean, it just does. And I could, you know, could never stop, stop thinking about how, you know, how fate and, you know, circumstance, you know, like fate is like, I'm locked up. I'm incarcerated. Right. And, you know, and we don't talk about how prison saves your life like that, you know? <laughs> and so, as I began to talk to, you know, and so Gary would end up getting like 17 years for conspiracy, you know, um, John lost that house and, um, Steve, you know, I, I, I talked to him, you know, years later, man. And, you know, 
it was one of the most, you know, I could tell like when he was trying to tell the story that it was, that it was difficult for him even then uh, to, to even think about it. Um, and I knew then that I was going to write about it. And I had to talk, I had, I had, I had to sort of like, you know, work that out. Um, you know, something that happened, you know, to some of some, some good friends of mine, um, and how, you know, being part of that life, man, that's some of the, that's what that brings. That's the result. You know what I mean? So he talking about the end game. It's the end game, man. <laughs> you know? Um, and I think, man, two months, two, almost two to three months later, man, Gary's in prison with me. See what I'm saying? And so, so we go, yeah. So we don't want to give away all the details because we want people to read it. But you, <laughs> you do yeah. such a beautiful job of, yes, you talk about those low moments, the, some of the high moments that you had, you know, great experiences. But I think the, the, the next question I want to ask that I, I feel like is, is on, at least on my mind, mm-hmm. hearing you talk about these experiences and reading the book for myself is what did it, what did it mean to you? to revisit that time now as a as a tenured professor as a multi book multi-time published author as a poet being able to look back from as safe as we any of us ever are and knowing that you know you flip a coin a thousand times and maybe it's only coming up this way that one time right i mean okay. what what did it mean to you to have the opportunity to look back and write about this now? Man, it's almost humbling in a way, uh, you know, because sometimes I think when you go through, you know, you know experiences like that, you're like wondering, <clears throat> what is your purpose going to be in life, right? You're wondering, like, um, will, I, will I be able to outlive some of these, some of these memories um, and some of this guilt that I've, you know, had to um, live with or in process and some in, in every kind of way imaginable. Um, and I think, but also understanding that for me, man, it was like, you know, even it, the, so here we get, so here's where the, you know, where, where language and, and writing comes in too, right? Because, you know, as I was in this process, I think, and we, especially when I was in prison, uh, I, I, I became, you know, you know, really, really interested in how writing was beginning to, t- to change my life, uh, too. Um, how I was beginning to find a moral compass and how I was beginning to, you know, think of um, things in a more human manner, man, and, and give in, in terms of people and myself, even myself, man, I had I had to forgive myself uh, in that process as well. But I think writing did that. Um, and so writing has always been a big part, you know, you know, going through my, my recovery process in, in that, um, you know, trying to write, you know, coming out of prison and trying to, you know, start, you know, create a life for myself. Um, and there, and so consequently, revisiting um, that past, um, through the lens, through a you know through a sort of lens that I've had a chance to adjust and readjust and think about in various ways, you, you know from some you know for ten to fifteen years. So like, what is what did it all really mean, right? I think sometimes we talk, we write about experiences in ways that um, we're not necessarily ready to talk about. 
and we talk about them anyway. And I think, but for me, in, in, in telling these stories, it took a minute. Like people, I think people assume, well, I don't know if they assume when I take that back, but I, oftentimes people think that, you know, these are the only, you know, I start, I've been writing about incarceration, you know, or, you know, addiction, you know, my whole, you know, in, entire, you know, career, you know, as sort of writing books, but I haven't, you know what I mean? I, I really haven't, you know what I mean? My first three books were about, you know, poetry, they were really about something totally different. And it wasn't until my memoir, the first one, Hook, a memoir, that I really began to get get into this whole thing um, in, in ways in which, because I felt I was ready to sort of get at it. And, and you talk about dead weight and it being like 130-some pages. Well, I think that's the compression of language and really understanding what every word meant, mm. what every feeling meant. And what you know, what everything meant, and sort of trying to, as I was trying to construct this narrative, so no word is left unspent. Um, you know, as I'm as I'm going back, I'm looking at it obviously, obviously through the lens of a poet, um, but I'm also, um, and I say, you know, I'm always, I'm trying to break free, just as much as I'm trying to help the reader break free, or uh, maybe I'm trying to break us all free. You know, <laughs> I don't know, but I know I'm always on I'm always on that journey, um, looking for looking for like the answer, um, and you know sometimes we find it and sometimes we really don't. We just we're just left with the experience, right? And that's why it's important for me to tell the experience. And so I think as I'm looking back. Um, now I'm able to, you know, look at it through all of the experiences I've had and 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 and, and the ways in which I've been able to, re, you know, rebuild my life and sort of be more confident in telling that story too. As you know, that's important as well. In addition to um, just sort of excavating that truth and and, and telling it in a way that's honest um, and as a writer, you know. Um, so I'm after a lot of things in that. I think that's an interesting question the way you pose it in in, 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 in to talk about, um, you know, because I think you know in reflection, you know, there are a lot of things at play, um, you know, uh, and especially when you, in, in the memoir and when you're dealing with memoirish things, um, there's a lot, just a lot of things at play. So, um, but yeah. Well, I, I, you, you, I love that you said it was sort of no word, you know, un, unspent. And toward to my earlier point of it, it is very Hemingway in that sense. Although it's more as if Hemingway was a poet because you allowed there to be beauty, not just through, you know, Hemingway was famous for having sort of no time for flowery language. That was something that he just felt was was not. There was no room for that in his writing. But you are able to to just as as beautifully as he does be concise yet also descriptive, and I, and I love right. that about this book. Yeah. And it is it is very poetic in that sense. Right. The, the, the the last question I'll get before obviously we want to finish with where people can buy it and find out more about you and all that. But mm. before we get to that, you know. Uh, <laughs> You are not, uh, as I said at the beginning, uh, the, the average person we talk to on this channel. But, but more than that, you this sort of um, honest uh, telling of your experiences is sadly uh, unique 
uh, on, on in in the literary scene. Mm-hmm. Are there other people that you look at and go, yeah, they're doing it right in terms of talking about incarceration and talk in terms of talking about an honest look at what you know the, the sort of above street level dealing actually looks like? Is there anyone else that you would recommend to listeners to go check out? Well, I mean. You got yeah, I mean Mitchell Jackson's um The Residue Years um is is one is probably is, is an interesting novel and it gets at uh, it gets at a lot of what is symptomatic. Oh let me that's not the right word. It gets a lot that to what happened a generation after what we sort of we what we went through in the eighties. I think it sort of like brings that whole generation to life. Through, the, uh, through a couple of characters um, and and the effects of that um, and and how you know one one protagonist gets into the life um, through you know and, and and is dealing with the mother's addiction right um, yeah so I, when I read that book I was like boom that's it Mr. Mr. just won the Pulitzer too um, oh wow. Yeah, he did a piece on the uh, Ahmaud Arbery case. Um, I forget the name of it now, but it's an interesting piece, man. I love it. Um, but that, so the residue years, um, for sure, man. Um, yeah, that book gets, and, and man, I'm, I'm kind of, it's not a whole lot, you know what I mean? I'm kind of lost the words of that, mm-hmm. you know, who gets at that time period in the way um, that I say, yeah, they got it right. Are they? Can even- I ask though, yeah. Because that was, I, I agree with you, and that is so startling to me that this is something we, we you know, we, to be frank, we read about you in the news more than we've heard from you, right? Does that, does that sort of hit home? Is that, yeah. I don't mean you as a person, I mean this story. Right. And so my, my question is, why, as someone who is one of the few voices, I think, from this we are being able to hear from, why are you so unique? Why is it so that we're not hearing more Randall Hortons telling these stories? That's an interesting thing, man. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I look around and it's just not, um, it's just a, it's a, the community is, is less than <laughs> four, four on my fingers, you know what I mean? <laughs> If I got a four finger hand, I got <laughs> I got too many. <laughs> we laugh, but it's also very sad. It's so sad, man. No, I'm saying, and, and even so, okay. So, Belinda dig this though. You think about that, but then the flip side of it, where, where are the women at? That great point. Boom. Yeah, and then that's a whole another conversation when you start talking about, um, you know. You know the women's voices from the inside, um, and had- and the women in your story are very. Uh, there's a spectrum from your mother to mm-hmm. the people you knew on the street, which was, right. uh, you know, to be frank, hard to read at times. Talking right. about some of the women at that in that period. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. I think we tend to forget. You know the effects of that the drug had, you know, on the body, 
and but it goes both, you know, men and women. You know, we I mean we talk well people who identify, you know, having to do sexually, whatever, being able to you know, going out and selling their body. Um for that. That just was just that, that was real. And it was, you know, our in for and sometimes it was sad because you would see people that you knew, you know, or relatives or people that's just out there and not even caring enough, of, you know, about their own self, the self. It doesn't matter anymore. You know, they become like sort of this ghost of who they were, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of times I've, I'm trying to talk about that, that time period and, and create that in some of these things, man. And, and, and it's, you know, and like, I never, I can never forget some, some of those things, those scenes are like very vivid in my mind and people walking around with did not hold eyes and, you know, 12 or one o'clock in the morning, man. And it's like these nomadic, it's so this whole, this, you know, involved in this whole nomadic scene of like nothingness, man. It's like, and and to get caught up in that and you, yeah, man, it's just like some crazy stuff. So I don't know. Well, it, it's a powerful read, the book. And, and again, mm-hmm. listeners, the book is Dead Weight, a memoir and essays by Randall Horton. Randall, if you wouldn't mind shouting out where people can find you online, where they can buy the book, anything else that, that the, the listeners need to know about you and where they can support you. Well, you know, they can find me on roundofhorton.com um, and they can always request a book there, a signed copy. <clears throat> and I, you know, but the book comes out with Northwestern University Press. And so you can always go to their website and get it. Now, I appreciate the support there. That always helps, you know, getting it straight from, um, you know, them. Uh, but, you know, it's available on, on a lot of Barnes and Nobles, on all the all online platforms, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Um, yeah, so the gamut in terms of that. Um, and, um, so recently, I guess, yeah, recently, not, not so recently, still was in January, um, I just received, um, what do you call the Creative Capital Artist Award, right? And so what it's going to enable, so I'm, I have a, I have a, I have a poetry band, man, it's called Radical Reversal, right? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so one of the things we um we're gonna do um is we're gonna put um turn four classrooms into in, in four prisons into these creative spaces with recording studios, right? We're, we're, we're gonna have it's gonna be recording studio slash performance slash creative space. So they're gonna allow us to basically trick you know, trick out a whole classroom. You know what I mean? So we're going to be in uh, Minnesota, um, Massachusetts, uh, and Connecticut. And we're going to do programming for like two years. And we're going to record up there. And uh, we're going to do some live performances. And um, and we're hoping to actually um, live stream a, co- a collaborative effort from, you know, both all the places that we work in, in each one to live stream it, you know, through various social justice, I mean, social justice uh, channels, um, platforms on the outside. So we'll see. Um, but that's the plan. But we're going to be doing the program. And we partnered with like four uh, social, you know, some some organizations that are doing work in, those, in these places already. 
So um, that's our infrastructure. And so um, we're trying to provide, a, you know, this whole creative experience, man, in turn, in, in, the, um, in, in the rehabilitative process. Um, and, you know, having, having, thinking about other ways in which we uh, create, you know, you know, ways in which we can re- rehabilitate the mind and the body, you know, and, and as we prepare, you know, people to go back into society, you know, a lot of times it's not about, it's just not about an education, you know, I mean, the educational component is cool. I get that. But sometimes it's about creativity and about like allowing yourself to sort of imagine some other stuff and think outside of yourself. Even if you're not going to be, you know, a musician or a writer or a poet, that's not even the issue, man. That's like, that's like secondary, but maybe third on the list of what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to, you know, um, provide an experience in which people feel good about themselves, man. So, well, it was an absolute chat or pleasure chatting with you and really <laughs> cool hearing about uh, the way that you're still, you know, beyond the book, working on changing some narratives and changing some minds, because that's incredibly important. Uh, Randall, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Jay. I appreciate it, man. And thanks for having me on. It's been great talking with you. <laughs>